open your Bibles this evening to the book of Philippians, chapter 4 is where we'll start. Uh, and then we're going to back up a couple passages and we're going to look at just a few passages here in Philippians this evening. I want to tell you guys, thank you so much um, for this morning, for being a blessing to Brother Travis. Uh, he, I believe he was a blessing to us. He was a blessing to me. It was, it was a blessing to get to spend some time. Um, he went out and ate with my family afterwards, and we got to spend about, I don't know, 40 minutes, an hour or so talking here at the church afterwards, but it was a blessing to see how God is using them and, and what they're doing, and um, I learned a lot. You too, I probably need to share what I learned with you <laughs> um, in dealing with some of the homeless people and, and why sometimes it's like we're beating our head against the wall and can't really help them, um, but it was an incredible, incredible opportunity to have him here. I appreciate, appreciate the way. It's been a long time since we've passed a plate. It's been a long time since we've taken up a love offering like that. I guess March a year ago. I wasn't really sure what to expect, but you guys did an incredible job of taking care of the anointed. I, I appreciate it. It, it has to be a blessing to him and his family, so I appreciate what you did there um, to encourage him as, as he goes on. Here in Philippians chapter 4, I'm just going to read this one short little verse, and then we'll back up and look at a couple more as we go. It won't be very long. Chapter 4, verse number 4, Paul simply says, Rejoice in the Lord always. It's so important that he felt necessary to repeat it in this little writing. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. So I want to look at just a short few minutes on, on a happy Thanksgiving. God, thank you so much for being so good. Thank you for loving us, God. Thank you for, for grace. God, thank you for long-suffering. Thank you for forbearance. Thank you for this people, God, us, this body of believers called Faith Baptist Church, brothers and sisters in Christ, united by the blood of Jesus. God, thank you so much that we can come back together. Thank you for the way that you've moved COVID to the side, God, that we're able to come back and ministries are back in place, God. It truly is refreshing to be able to have everything back and we give you all the glory, God. You alone are worthy. Lord, I pray you'd move in here tonight. I pray that you'd give each one of us something to, to stir our hearts, something that each one needs, whatever's different, God, as the Holy Spirit sees fit. God, we pray most of all that you alone would be pleased, God. I pray that everything we do tonight be, be pleasing and bring glory and honor to you. We love you, Father. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So obviously this Thursday being Thanksgiving for those of you who are participating in, in the 40-day fast, I hope, I hope that's all of you, if you're where you can be, at least maybe a meal or however you can do that, but, but that the church fast together and, and prays together, I'm expecting to see God do things through it. Coming Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I'm not telling you you can't fast, that's your business. But if you can fast on Thanksgiving, God bless you. I'm going to want to eat some groceries come Thanksgiving Day. But Thursday, Friday, and Saturday is not the three days that are on the sign-up day. Because you've got to have Friday, Saturday. We really should have took Sunday out, too. We've got to eat all that leftover ham and turkey and all them, all them leftovers that make things so good while we watch football on the weekends. Everybody knows what I'm talking about, right? But for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we won't be as, as part of that 40-day fast and then picking back up I think it was on Sunday if you look at the calendar you guys know you're the ones that signed up on on the certain days 
We'll pick back up until we go until, I believe, the date is December 2nd. Is it the 2nd? I can't remember what days of the week things fall on right now, but that's where it'll end. And on that day, we'll all have communion together. We have another missionary will be with us on Sunday evening, December 12th. Um, I'm excited about that. Um, Pastor Brandon is doing a good job of checking with all our missionaries. He is our new, I don't know if I've even told the church that he is our new director of missions and doing a good job of touching base with all these guys and getting some of the ones that are local enough or, or maybe home on furlough lined up so we can start bringing some back in. At any rate, this week be, being Thanksgiving and, and looking forward, I was praying this week and, and I was just thinking, and even, even Travis and I talked about it today, Travis's dad passed away in January from COVID. And we were talking about COVID and some deaths and how it's changed a lot of things going on. But it's not just COVID. There's a lot of other things. There, there's automobile accidents. There's, there's sickness. There's cancer. There's a lot of things that have caused the fact that there will be some empty seats at the Thanksgiving table this year. Sometimes it's, it's hard to, to kind of get past. You know, those first ones, I I'm going to say the first ones are the worst ones, and those of you that have lost somebody that you really love, which is all of us, you know what I'm talking about. It's when you realize that morning, today's their birthday and I can't call them. It's when you realize the first Mother's Day or Father's Day or, or, or whatever the case may be that's there, and, and this will be the first Thanksgiving for a lot that have had such a hard time with COVID. But, but Paul says that we are to rejoice always in, in spite of some empty seats in spite of the fact that there are some smiles and some hugs that we expect at that time and in some cases it's only a couple times a year we get to see people and we, we look forward to that and, and those are just going to be a memory but Paul says that even when our hearts are heavy he says we can rejoice so that alone had my attention to study this this letter here I read a devotion it said the holidays are the favorite time of year for many people what about those who are grieving? What about those who are experiencing financial difficulties and the holidays won't be what it will be for others? What about those who find themselves exhausted from life or worn out from all the demands of work and of life? It says, we know we're supposed to be grateful, but when times are hard, how can we be? Y'all understand why that devotion got my attention, right? That, that's why I started looking at that and studying, and it came out of, of a commentary on, on, the, on the Philippian letter. But, but one of the things that, that we tend to do, I say we, I don't know that I should include you. I feel like I can. I don't think I'm the only one. But even though we know we shouldn't, we, we tend to relate joy and thanksgiving to current situations. We relate joy and thanksgiving to what's going on in my life right now but if we only relate joy as a situational attitude then we're going to go through a lot of things in life that it's going to be impossible to be joyful during those times because there's things that happen in life that, that just tend to to pull us down we looked last week and paul said here in this this letter to the philippians when, when he wrote this he is in a roman prison cell he's waiting on a trial for no reason at all he's done nothing wrong he hasn't broken the law, not as what we would call breaking the law. He hasn't, he hasn't caused anybody any harm. All he's done is preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's guilty of. That is his crime for preaching the book. And because he's preaching the gospel of Christ, he is in prison 
awaiting a trial that's going to determine whether or not he can be executed. Seems like to me that'd be a difficult time to find joy. I, I just have my own experience to think of, but if I'm in jail for preaching the gospel and I'm on trial that's going to land me on death row and all I've done is preached up here on the street corner, I'm, I'm not going to understand that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, well that, that is his crime. That's all he's there for. But he makes it clear that Christians are, are not to be thankful always for our situations, but to be thankful in spite of our situations. Paul doesn't tell us that we're to force ourselves to be grateful when we're really not. He doesn't tell us that we ought to be delusional and say, well, things really aren't that bad when they really are. Anybody ever try to convince yourself of that one, that it's not that bad, but it really is? Things really aren't going wrong when, when, they, when they really are. Paul tells us that the only source of true thanksgiving, no, no matter what's going on in our lives, is the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, they, they just sang about it. When we all see Jesus and because he lives, those are the things that we have that we can have constant joy about. Here in this Philippian letter, Paul says that we can have a happy thanksgiving in spite of whatever has happened or is happening in our lives. Chapter 1, verse number 6, Paul says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is reminding us of what every one of us know to be true in our lives. We're a work in progress. I need some con in construction signs all around me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody else feel like you're under construction often? But we have a master builder. I can be thankful that even though I have some construction signs and even though I'm a serious work in progress, I have a master builder who never starts something and doesn't finish it. There's a design plan. There's something that he's working for. And I might have to go through some things to get me to where I'm going. But God has a perfectly designed plan to get me from, from where I am to where he wants me to go. We looked last week at the hands of the potter. That's what we are. We are clay in the hands of a potter. But if you remember what we looked at on Sunday morning, it's, it's that he's working to make another vessel which seemed good to the potter. So what I'm thinking I want to be, or what I'm thinking I ought to be, none of that stuff comes into play in the mind of the potter. The potter already has in mind what it is that he's looking to make us. There's just some construction going on to get us there. One of the ways that we can find joy, Paul gives us in this letter, if we, if we look at it, is to be able to look back at where we were and see how far we've come. Do you know, as, as bad as it may be right here, I've been a lot worse. And God didn't leave us there to get us to here. And his plan is not to leave us here. He's got something better in mind. So all of us have the ability to look back at where we were one time to see how far God has brought us to get to where we are. We're able to look back. Every one of us has situations in our lives that we can look back and see how God made a way out of no way. I'm, I'm sure every one of us has the ability to look back in our life and see where God showed up just in time. I'm pretty sure... We can all look back and see a time in our life when God showed up on the fourth day. After all hope was lost, when everything was gone. For the Jewish custom, after the third day, there was no hope of, him, of Lazarus coming out of that grave. But he showed up on the fourth day. I think it's Karen Peck does the song, when he's four days late, he's still on time. 
Sometimes in our lives, I feel like God is showing up on the fourth day. But when he got there, it didn't matter if it was the fourth day or the tenth day. Everything changed when God shows up. Amen. So I feel confident to say that probably every one of us have experienced disappointments in our lives. But I also feel likewise that every one of us has had situations that, that even though it was disappointing at the time, we can look back and see God's hand in everything that we went through. We can see how God orchestrated it and how God brought us through those times. We can look back and see how God carried us through that situation. And it was that situation that transformed us into something better than we were prior to the situation. Sometimes what looks like failure in our eyes is simply God doing something great. I'm sure from Paul's perspective, being carried to Rome as a prisoner... Involved in a shipwreck, bitten by a snake, and carried in chains, and cast into a prison at Rome, that probably wouldn't seem like the most encouraging time in life. Does that make sense? God told him that he was going to go to Rome. So he had no doubt. There was nothing going to keep him. Paul wasn't worried about dying. I'm telling you, he wasn't worried about dying in that shipwreck. He wasn't worried about dying from the snake bite. God said, you'll preach at Rome. And when God tells you you're going to preach at Rome, you're going to preach at Rome, and hell can't stop it. Nothing can stop God's plan. If God says, I'm, I'm sending you to here, it's going to take more than a shipwreck. But I'm pretty sure, just by my own line of thinking, if God told me he was going to send me to Rome to preach, I wouldn't expect to be going there in handcuffs on a prison airliner. You know what I mean? I'd, I'd be expecting to at least fly a coach and get over there and, and preach in a church. But God had a plan. Paul didn't just go to Rome and, and preach at Rome. And God had so much more there because of the way he went to Rome and the way he was in the Roman prison cell. Paul's been preaching for centuries and is still preaching today. He's preaching tonight, right here out of this letter that he wrote from a Roman prison to the church at Philippi. Paul's still preaching tonight because of the way that God chose to send him to Rome, even though in human eyes that probably looks like a failure. You know, the, the cross looks like a failure. If you look from a human perspective, Jesus came. I'm sure everybody around him thought the cross was a failure. Jesus is dead. The disciples thought that. Jesus has been crucified. He's dead. They've killed the Messiah. So the cross, what looked like a disaster to us, was actually the greatest event in the history of mankind. As far as I'm concerned, it's better than the birth of Jesus because the birth of Jesus isn't what gave us the rebirth. It, it is life after death. It's after he conquered death, hell, and the grave. But God already knew about the third day resurrection before the cross ever got there. I'm just saying there, there are some cross points in our lives. We, we've been through some times that, that are cross points. And like the cross, they don't make sense at the time. And we don't really understand why we're going through something like that then. But God already sees the third day resurrection that we have. God already has whatever it is that he's doing through the cross is already set up for the other side. So God is working towards something. He's not just working in it. God's working towards something in our lives. Chapter 2, Paul says in verse number 4, he gives us another approach to thanksgiving. He says, Let not every man 
Or look, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The fact is, it's easy, especially when things aren't going good, especially when, when we're in some bad situations, it's easy to become self-absorbed. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Say our problems is bigger than everybody else's problem? Your problem ain't, but it seems like it to me. Our situation has to be worse than their situation, more devastating. What's going on in our life has to be more urgent. Though The things that happen and the problems, we become self-absorbed because of the things that we're going through. Paul says that serving others is a way to get past that. Paul says serving others is a way to get my mind off my problems. Paul says that doing things to help somebody else, Paul says that they're getting down in the gutters and don't let Travis be in the homeless and homeless shelters and situations. Paul says that getting down with others and on your knees and, and seeing people in their problems makes us forget about our problems. It may not make us forget about them. Let's just say it lightens the load because what it's really doing is getting down to help someone else is actually casting our cares upon him. Because we don't realize that when we start putting into helping somebody else, then God starts picking our burdens up as we try to pick up somebody else's. So Paul says that, that we are to help others, that, that we're to let this mind be in us. Verse number 6, Paul goes on, he says about Jesus, "...but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in a fashion as man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given a name which is above every name. Sometimes the, the best way to be thankful in spite of our situation is to invest our time into others instead of investing our time into worrying about something that we can't do anything about anyway. Y'all agree if the situation, if I'm in a bad situation, if I could have changed it, I never would have gotten in it. And if I could have already fixed it, I already would have. So if I'm worrying about it, I'm worrying about something that I can't change. That's obvious what I would have. But, but what he's saying is we spend our time investing it in others. He says in verse number 13 of chapter 2, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Verse number 14, he gives us another, I don't know, piece of sound wisdom. He says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings. It's easy to think that complaining is not a big deal. I find myself complaining a lot of times. I really have nothing to complain about. We look at complaining as just a natural response to disappointments or a natural response to when things aren't going the way we want them to. But murmuring and complaining is actually a cancer in our lives. Murmuring and complaining is something that it eats at us. It refuses to let us ever have joy in our life because it's always telling us that things aren't up to, to my standard. They're not up to where I want them to be. It causes us to focus on the negative and the way I want it to be And when there's so many positives in our lives. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one. I did some word studies right here in this little bit. I read some commentaries on the passage and basically... This is what it says. Complaining comes from a feeling of entitlement. It comes from a desire for self-satisfaction. It comes from the belief that we're getting less than we deserve. One of the commentaries says that we as Christians should always remember that if it were not for the grace of a loving God, we'd all get what we deserve. And that's an eternity in hell. This humility should cause us to swallow our pride and be thankful. 
when we're tempted to complain, we should compare our discomfort to what Christ endured on the cross for us. Another thing that Paul gives us here in this letter to be thankful about is the people that, that God has put in our lives to help us. Every one of us is surrounded by other people whom God has put in our lives for the purpose of shaping us, for the purpose of helping us, for the purpose of, of molding us into the things that he wants us to be. Paul is thankful for the people that's in his life. He says in chapter 1, verse number 3, it's still here in Philippians, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. We can be thankful for Faith Baptist Church. We can be thankful for each other. We, we can be thankful for our brothers and sisters in Christ that, that are together, that, that we're here. No, no ministry. No ministry in this church. No ministry in any of the churches that we know about around town. No ministry in the church as a whole. No ministry, including the Apostle Paul. No ministry is a one-man show or a one-person show. No ministry is designed, nothing in the gospel is designed to be a one-person show. Even the Apostle Paul is always surrounded by people. We look at his trips, we look at the things that, that God did and, and, and how he worked, and he's always talking about, you know, he, he writes a letter about Timothy and how much he did to him. He talks about Epaphroditus. We see when Paul was singing at midnight, he wasn't alone. God had somebody there with him as he and Silas sang. And we see on his missionary journey how Barnabas traveled with him on his mission trips. But, but Paul is always, when he writes letters to these churches, every letter, he's always giving thanks to the church. He's always giving thanks to his fellow servants, to brothers and sisters in Christ. And many times he names out certain ones there within the church. He always takes time to put it in there. Paul understands the importance of Christian fellowship. He says in verse number three, he says, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, all my other fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. He understands how important that this fellowship is. He shows us in his letters the gratitude that he has for these people in his life. All these people in his life aren't perfect. All of these people in his life aren't always in agreement. We know that he and Barnabas got in an argument over John Mark while on a mission trip while on a missionary journey. So the personalities aren't always the same, but they're all there together. He understands that he put everyone in his life to help make him who he is. It's other Christians around us that help us. It's other Christians around us that strengthen us. It's other Christians around us that, that help us to grow. It's other Christians around us that, that really strengthen us through prayer, even if you don't know they're praying for you. You know, you don't have to know someone is praying for you for them to be praying for you. You don't have to know they're praying for you for God to answer their prayer and bless you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever just know you feel like somebody's praying for you? I'm telling you, there's a lot of times I know somebody's praying for me. I feel it, and it doesn't matter. I don't know who it is. What I know is that we have a body of believers and that all throughout the day God can touch anyone in this church to pray for anyone else in this church and the family, but that, that God works through it, that we have each other. Second Timothy, Paul says in chapter 1, verse 2, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
He said, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with a pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. It takes all of us to be what God has for us to be. It takes every one of us together, not just to be the church that God wants to be, but it takes every one of us together as iron sharpeneth iron. It takes every one of us together rubbing against one another, rubbing shoulders together, working together for God to make not just the church what He wants to be, but, but for me to, to rub shoulders with brothers and sisters in Christ to become all that's there. So if we have somebody that rubs us wrong, Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some, some, sometimes it's just a little rub. The best thing in the world that you can do for that person is pray for them. And here's why. It may help them, but it'll definitely help you. When we pray for the ones that rub us the most, that's when God will start doing things in us. Chapter 3 of Philippians, verse number 13, it says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. You know, one of the great issues of life is and when we're small is, is what am I going to be when I grow up? When we're little is what I want to do, what I want to be. And then all of a sudden it isn't long till you're grown up. And it's what am I going to be now? And, and then you get in the latter part of life, and, and it's looking at, did I ever become what I said I was going to be? Did I ever become what I said I was going to grow up to be? Did I ever even pursue the things that, that I wanted to be? Do, do I enjoy my job, or am I just making a living, just, just getting through the day? The truth is, we're living for something greater than all that. We are children of God. We are living for the glory of God. We are living for the gospel. We are living for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are children of the King, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So we're living for a whole lot more than what this world has to offer. We don't have to create, uh, I love this, we don't have to create our own sense of value. We, we don't have to prove our worth. We don't have to try to prove to the world what we are or are not worth. We, we don't have to be hindered when the world may say, well, you're, you're not all that. The world will measure us by money and by worldly things. We don't have to be upset when the world doesn't feel like we're worth much based on financial things because our value to God was proven at Calvary. How much I'm worth, how much you're worth, how much we're worth, God proved it at Calvary. We're not here just to make a living. We're here to live for the glory of God. We, we are Christ living in us, Christ living through us. We are living so that others might see Christ. We are a tool. You are a tool in the hand of God. When you get up tomorrow morning, you will be a tool in the hand of God. All day long, God can use you to make an adjustment in somebody else's life. God can use you like a wrench to adjust somebody else. God can use your smile to make somebody else smile. God can use uh, uh, your prayer to bless somebody else. God can use um, something that you may do for somebody that's having a bad day that changes everything for them. Tomorrow when you get up, just like you are right now, twink on the bed yet, right? We can do it right here before we do now. God can use us for a tool before we ever walk out of this place to be a blessing to somebody else. We are a tool in the hand of God. That alone ought to give us something to be thankful about. 
to think that the creator of all the universe would, would take and, and use us. We don't have to decide whether or not our accomplishments are good enough to be accepted by men. The accomplishments of Christ have already settled it. The accomplishments of Christ shows what we're worth to God. And then our text, the opening text in verse number 4, Philippians chapter 4, said, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Paul goes on in the next three verses. He says, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. We looked at that text a couple weeks ago in a message, but he says in verse number 7, The peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Paul reminds us of the incredible fact we don't have to prove ourselves to God. We don't have to make sacrifices like they had to do in the Old Testament. We don't have to go to a priest to confess our sins and ask him to take blood behind the veil on our behalf. We are given that unlimited access to the Holy of Holies, the place behind the veil. We're given unlimited access into the very throne room of grace to go as often as we want. There are no limitations as to how often we can go in there or how long we can stay. We're able to walk in and talk with Him anytime that we want. We have this direct access, and prayer connects us to our Redeemer, and it builds the relationship that we have with the Father. It helps us prioritize. We've been looking at prayer for about three weeks on Sunday mornings. Prayer helps keep things in, in the order of importance. Paul says that if we rejoice in the Lord always, if we pray often, if we focus on the positive things, that, that alone can be a tough one. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's hard to focus on the positive when something negative is happening. But in all honesty, when I look back in my life, I look back at there may have been something negative in my life, there were dozens of positive things going on. I just couldn't focus on them because I dwelled on the negative one. He says if we would focus on, on the positive things, but then he says, and let our request be made known unto God. Then he says, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. No matter what we're going through, no matter what we've been through, praise God for the been through. Anybody thankful for the been through? I'm thankful for the been through and not the going through. I wish I could be like Paul and say I glory in tribulations, but I don't know I'll ever get to that one. I don't know that I can ever see that. I understand what he's talking about, but I don't have that, that mindset. But if we focus on the good things, the things that, that God has given us, God has given us a, a right to be joyful. God has given us a reason to be joyful. God has take, taken away the worst things that we've ever done. He's taken away our worst fears, and that would have been hell. He's taken away our worst disappointments. And God has given us a new name and glory. He's given us a promise that he's coming back. He's given us a promise that one day I'll see his face. I'll see Jesus. God's given us some promises. So Thanksgiving, I know that some folks will have some, some times will come, and I'm, I'm not naive. There'll be, there'll be tears shed at Thanksgiving because of some empty seats. But there is such thing as tears of joy. For those of us who are redeemed, we can know we can be a little bit envious 
that they're already there. And they're not going to have to put up with what's going on in this world tomorrow. We, we, can, we can find joy in knowing that one day soon enough it's all going to end. We've read the end of the book, and if we, if we haven't, we can. It's there, it's written, and just like the first half of the book was fulfilled, the last chapter is going to be fulfilled also. We can find joy in just knowing that God is enough for us. Amen? I hope all of you have a happy Thanksgiving. I hope all of you get together with your family and reflect on things. But most of all, when we look back, look back at how good God has been. Because no matter what bad things may have happened, there's been a lot of good things happened in our lives too. God's blessed us a lot. God's done a lot of things for us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. God, I thank you that, that there are many good times in my life. God, I thank you that I can look back on some hard times and, Lord, know that in the hard times you shaped me into something better. And God, I can look back at times that I was even more unlovable than now, but you loved me anyway. God, we can look back on ourselves and see that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. At our absolute worst, you came here to pay the debt that we might be saved. God, I just want to tell you thank you, Father. I pray you'd help us to move forward into this week with a heart of thanksgiving. God, I pray that we would give you the praise and the glory and the honor that you're worthy of. And God, I pray that we gather together as families. Lord, I pray right now for every family represented in this place. God, I pray you'd bless their homes, bless their families, bless their lives. God, I pray for every family represented here that has a lost loved one in their family. They'll see them at Thanksgiving. They'll get some time to spend with them. God, I pray you prepare some hearts right now. Lord, what a truly happy Thanksgiving it would be to be able to lead a family member to the Lord. God, I pray you prepare some hearts and some paths. I pray for a hedge of protection around your people as they travel. God, I pray you guide us and be with us, make us usable vessels. Lord, and I pray, Lord, if you, if you tarry, Lord Jesus, and you don't come get us until next Sunday and we gather again, Father, I pray you'd hold us over and make us usable vessels from now to then. I pray you'd remind us, God, of the joy that we have in Jesus. May we be everything that you want us to be. You've been so good to us. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys want to stand up, we're going to sing a song real quick.